This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to the Double Feature Movie Podcast. I'm Jonathan Roberts and this is Joanne So. Hello. Now, in a rare occasion, two big releases this week, Rocketman and Men in Black International. We'll kick off with Rocketman, which is, of course, the Elton John sort of biopic, sort of musical, truth but not truthful. Yeah. <laughs> he it's- caught- Elton John calls it a fantasy musical. I have to say, I entered this with a bit of trepidation. I'm not a fan of musicals at all. Can't stand them. I'm not even that big an Elton John fan. I can't think of any time I thought, oh, I must listen to an Elton John song or bought an Elton John album, which dates me terribly because, you know, (laughs) who buys albums anymore? I utterly loved this. This was one of the best things I've seen all year. Yeah, it's one of the better ones. I mean, of better movies lately. Yeah, and it's really totally enjoyable. I'm I'm also not a Elton John person, as in I I know his songs, mm. but after watching the film, it's like, oh, I actually know a lot of his songs. Yeah. <laughs> that said, this is not a jukebox musical. This is not like Mamma Mia, where it's just all the hits. Mm. There's obscure stuff as well, and a lot's been left out. You only get some snippets of some of the bigger hits, like uh, you don't get a full Your Song, Daniel. Uh, Candle in Candle in the Wind barely gets a mention, I think. I don't think it was mentioned at all. But it kicks off with I've heard the title, The Bitches Back, but I've never really heard the song before. And there's other stuff like Honky Cat, which is never never ever heard before. Yeah. So these the way uh, Dexter Fletcher, the director, has approached this is that it's the right song for the right part of the story. Yeah, right? I think so. The right song for the emotions yeah. that, that Taron Egerton, who plays Elton, feel go through during that period of time. Yes. Because, I, I mean, for me, I didn't know anything about much about Elton John's song. It's like, when I, after watching it, I went back to check on, like, the, you know, the film, um, his, his, his songs and all that, right? Mm. Oh, the songs are not actually done chronological order, which is very interesting. Not at all. Not yeah. at all. In fact, uh, the first song is "The Bitches Back," mm. which is much later, and it's got his like nine-year-old self singing it. Uh, the second song is actually from two thousand and one, which is "I Want Love," mm. and this is essentially where I think Rocket Man becomes the film that Bohemian Rhapsody could have been and probably wants to be now. <laughs> Uh, Dexter Fletcher, of course, did a rescue job on Bohemian Rhapsody once. The situation with Brian Singer, let's call it, without <laughs> getting too legal, the situation with Brian Singer got too much, and he was ejected <laughs> from Bohemian Rhapsody, and he came in to save it. Now, originally, Dexter Fletcher was tagged to direct Bohemian Rhapsody mm. back in the day, but now he's done Rocket Man, which is just stupendous, really. I, I think it's, I mean, beyond the songs, beyond the music, this is is audacious. I mean, Elton John has always been known as kind of the flamboyant star. Yeah. And this movie matches in flamboyance. There are moments in this that are just breathtaking. Yeah. From the very start where he turns up to group therapy. It, okay. <laughs> it's, hilarious. It's, it's hilarious, but it's you know, it's so cliche, but yet it fits. Because yeah. you, you, after, after you realise, because, you know, then realise what kind of life Elton John has gone through and the, what kind of person we all know he is, like this over-the-top diva and everything else. And then he comes in, storming in this orange devil suit. Yeah. It's hilarious. With giant wings and everything. And sequins yeah. and feathers. And it's, it shows him as the, the more prickly side of mm. Elton John. If, if there was one of the many criticisms, criticisms of Bohemian Rhapsody, it's that uh, Freddie was a bit too perfect and so totally blameless. <laughs> This, mm. from the off, as soon as he walks in and says, 
right, how long is this going to take? He is argumentative, he is difficult. I mean, there's one very strong term towards the end of the film where he described what his condition has been since 1975. Not suitable for the podcast. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's not quite what's and all, but he's uh, he doesn't shy away from how abrasive he can yeah. be. I think it's, yeah, it's quite brave for them to start it where he is at the rock bottom. Well, it's, it is sort of therapy felt in John. You know, in those uh, 12-step programs, yeah, you're, you're meant to go around and apologise to everyone <laughs> that you've done wrong. This is this feels like the final part of his 12-step program, so I won't uh, personally apologise. I'll just say sorry to everyone in a film. <laughs> it's a it's an amazing story. Hmm. It is, is actually... Uh, quite an amazing it, character. Some parts are so incredible, like you don't even think it's real, but because maybe the the film makes it look so, you know over the top and a bit fantastical in a way it's like oh whatever it doesn't matter it's like Elton John you just take it as it is I think one of the things that may seem fantastical in it but it's actually quite true is the way he talks about making the music he gets paired with Bernie Taupin who's his longtime lyricist and Bernie gives him words and he says oh I I got these words and I just created a song around it and he shows him doing a little bit of your song in it and everyone's like oh wow it just like happens that's pretty close to real life because there's a documentary called Elton John Aquarius that's on YouTube, filmed in the 70s, <laughs> 1971, and it shows him working on Tiny Dancer. And it's pretty much there. It must be like the day after he got the lyrics. And he says, oh, this is something I've been working on. Gets a crumpled set of lyrics out, puts it on the piano. I've been looking at this and he goes, and he starts working it out. And it's still not the finished thing because some of the inflections are a bit higher or lower than what we know of but yeah it, apparently just he's a, he, he's a genius at music yeah you can't deny the fact that he is a music prodigy yeah at, at such a young age and then to be able to achieve what he has at what 20 something he is like how many hits so at some point he was responsible for five percent of all the music bought in the world mm-hmm in the 70s he was huge yeah you know but what I liked about this film besides I mean um, I think it, it really works because Taron Egerton really did a good job and mm. um, that was what my first interest about this one in the film because I, I, I do like Taron Egerton I mean and he worked with um, Dexter Fletcher for Eddie the Eagle which I actually yep. enjoyed the show a lot too but and I, and I also like Jamie Bell a lot and I've not seen him in the movie in a while so I thought it was quite a nice, interesting pairing to have them and all this serendipity pits about how they're connected to Elton John a long time mm. ago and here and there. It's like, you know, it's like, it's, it seems like a, a perfect storm for everything. Well, Jamie Bell plays Bernie Taupin and he gets introduced to Bernie Taupin when he goes to Dick James' music. Now, Dick James is... Um, play, now, this is where the controversies start because everyone <laughs> says the real Dick James wasn't that abrasive. He wasn't that... Sweary. Uh, Stephen Graham plays him. One who tell you know swearing all the time. T- tells them the music's rubbish and write the hits and stuff like that. And I think people have misinterpreted that because it's actually a bit more. He's gruff, but he's the one that encourages them. Yep. And it's not like Dick James didn't know about music. He helped the Beatles become self-publishing. He was the Beatles publisher, mm. and he. I mean, he's the one that sends them out to L.A. Yeah, he, he's the. He gets them the gig. He gets them the. The three album deal, which is, I mean, it doesn't sound like much now, or ten pounds a week to be there, to work on songs. But yeah, he gets them together, puts them in a flat together, and creates this partnership. You've got to read a bit more into it to get how encouraging he was. 
I guess Encouraging it's at that time, way. the era of how you, how, what kind of like, you know, a music man. Yeah. I guess, it's, you know, it's, it's, there's so many stereotypes in the film that you have, you know, and it's like, but somehow it, you know, you kind of worked in it, a way. Yeah, it does. There's two very big parts of this. One is how awful Elton John's family were to him. Oh, yeah. His dad, played by Stephen McIntosh, is, I'm guessing he has PTSD. He's incredibly cold, incredibly distant, won't even hug his son. And then there's his mum, played by Bryce Dallas Howard, who is just, I don't know, just not interested really. I think she just likes herself. That's yeah. all, more than anything Although else. Although I have to say, Bryce Dallas Howard, I mean, it's not really been brought up much, but Ace is the accent. Yeah, I must say she did a good job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she doesn't exactly stop him when he eventually comes out to her. Because obviously this is a big part of his story as well, yeah. you know, him discovering his sexuality. Yep. She's so Very, indifferent yeah. to the point of callousness. Yeah. Like, yeah, I always knew that. Just but, go do whatever you want. Yeah, it's it, like, do whatever you want. But at the same time, then she adds this caveat of you'll never find love. You'll mm. never truly be loved, which is just not what he wants to hear <laughs> at the time. So there's that part of it. There's, I guess you could call it a love story, a bromance, but more than a bromance between him and Bernie Taupin, mm. that they are very much brothers. And Bernie yep. Taupin being the one that can weather his tantrums. Yep. So like when... He's saying, people just want to see Elton John. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and he sort of has to stop and say, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. He takes it and he is the grounding influence and they are so perfectly matched and still to this day. I mean, yeah, they've never. It's, it's amazing, written, you know. It's yeah. like if, if you think that everything is all fiction, but just take this as a point that the friendship between Elton and Bernie Toppin is definitely for real. Yeah. And they've been together, what, 50 years? Of course, there's also uh, another key character in this which is Richard Madden as Satan <laughs> well I say, I say he plays John Reed who was played in Bohemian Rhapsody by Aidan Gillen so that's two Game of Thrones actors playing the <laughs> same guy a lot of people have said that this is character assassination on John Reed John Reed's not said anything uh, but in this he is Machiavellian sinister ominous from the moment he turns up. <laughs> He's just super manipulative. He, he knows is. what he, is. he wants out from Elton. In the film, not in real life, uh, he's at Elton's first show at the Troubadour. And a very clever thing that they've done here is that because it's the 70s and everyone's kind of like shabby, it's long hair, it's brown, <laughs> nobody looks smart in this thing. He is immaculate in his uh, double-breasted navy blue suit. Now, apparently, the other thing is, uh, I think Bernie Taupin said this, John Reed should be incredibly flattered that <laughs> they got Richard Madden to play him because, yeah, I've seen pictures of John Reed. He does not look like Richard Madden. But he comes into Elton's life with uh, a chat-up line that set the whole theatre that we were in <laughs> yes. gasping. So, I think it's more, more like, oh, I like the singer more than the song. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But de delivered in that deep Scottish brogue. <laughs> anyway, he, him and Elton become lovers and then he pushes Dick James out the way. It's, it's straight away he's manipulating him. Mm. And so even when there's this wonderful uh, sequence at the pool where Elton John's taken to drugs more and just on prescription pills and he attempts suicide in the pool and all Richard Madden, sorry, all John Reed can say is, you know, complain that, you know, he's going to be out of pocket. 
Yeah, and it's like you better show and show the next day. Yeah, it's like don't. And I mean, that's the thing. You know, no, no matter how things how bad it gets for Elton John, he spirals into this thing. It transitions into him getting ready at the Dodgers Stadium. Mm. You know, in this sparkly baseball outfit and you know, knocking a ball out fr- straight from. Uh, having his stomach pumped. That simple line where, like you mentioned earlier, like you mean, he said that to um, he said to Bernie Taupin, like people pay to watch Elton John. Yeah, I think that is what ingrained with him and, and into him, and it's what drives him through all these years. And I think he knows the so-called responsibility that he has to his fans. It means, it means he just had a like a heart attack before the day, the day before Madison Square Garden or something. Yeah, and then he went straight to performing, and it's like you know, it's just ridiculous how you, th- you think about actually happened but it actually did because it's like when I was reading up and it's like not in the interviews that Elton John has did it's like that's what he actually did I think that's the amazing thing about this film why I, I really can't praise it enough is that compared to Bohemian Rhapsody Bohemian Rhapsody juggled with the chronology Freddie Mercury didn't reveal to the band he had AIDS before Live Aid that came years after and mm. it's that kind of manipulation of the story that feels very fake whereas this it's I don't know, I'm more forgiving of it. Yeah, I think so too, because... Because it sets out that this is just a version and Elton John is presents himself as an unreliable narrator mm. at the start. So when he says that him and Bernie have never had an argument, <laughs> okay, what's your definition of an argument? Because there's clearly, you shout at each other yeah. at various points, but argument? What's no, your argument? I, I think that's why it's like, this the, the thing of fact versus fiction thing works for, for him because it's like, you know, without, I mean... A, a character like Elton John, everything has to take with a pinch of salt. Yeah. You know, it's like, sometimes you believe it, but it's like, it doesn't really bother you if it's not, you know, particularly real. It's his personal journey to redemption. So things kind of happened, but not in that way. You can blame it down to like what he said. It's like, it's, he popped all kinds of pills and everything else, whatever happened. So I'm sure some parts in his life, it's hazy somewhere. <laughs> I'm sure he probably like, you know, yeah. it's like, it's shown in the films like, he, wake, he wakes up and he's like, where am I? Where's this place? You know, it's like the, the he's like, am I in New York? Am I in Australia? It's like, oh yeah, it well, it's, it's, it's like, trying to say, where, where am I? It's just, hello, uh, yeah. <laughs> Melbourne? So, <laughs> yeah, so I'm sure some parts in his, how many years in his life where he's full of drugs and booze and everything else, I'm sure he, yeah. some years and probably Hayes be forgotten and is, stuff. is really well done. It's, it's, uh, the direction of this by Dexter is just wonderful. So when they're playing Pinball Wizard, where it's, it's just spinning around yeah. and it's another costume and it's another location and you just get this yeah, that's I- a very idea good of the whirlwind. Like, yeah. and, and it's also it's like, it's a good thing to show like how the time passes and yeah. it's like, what just happened and it's like you know just whatever it's just go on with his performances and everything and tours and then it's like oh next thing you know he's kind of like aged yeah so yeah it's, it's a very good montage and the amazing thing is right with Bernie Taupin's lyrics is that it's amazing how well they fit to that situation even though it's not chronological <laughs> This film has haunted me since we saw it. I still can't stop thinking about it. The music arrangements are wonderful, uh, directed by Giles Martin. Giles Martin is the son of George Martin, who was the Beatles producer. His arrangements for this are stupendous. They bring you new life into the songs as well. You got to go see it again? <laughs> You've seen it twice already. I've seen it twice. I think it's enough for now. If I go watch it again, I don't think I'll ever get the songs off out of my head. 
And then I'll start thinking of what scene goes with that song, which yeah. I guess that's I mean, the, the appeal the, the of his songs. The scenes are just so amazing, whether it's the the amazing camera work in Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, where it just whirls around this mm-hmm. fairground, as good as any action director. Mm-hmm. You'll hear that song, and you'll see the scene from the movie. <laughs> Rocky Man, thoroughly recommended. And now we move on to Men in Black International. <laughs> it's not a reboot, it's a continuation, just with a different cast. Emma Thompson is still from the last third. Do you remember the it's last third one? The uh, third one. And I, I didn't even realize there was three. I thought it was just two. Oh wow! Until I like, I, I had to like when I went to um, IMDb. It's like, oh yeah, Josh Brolin did the third one as the young Tommy oh, Lee yeah, Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where Emma Thompson came. Well, um, we saw this at the uh, the premiere. Well, that's all we can say about it. Really. <laughs> this film is like, I mean. The iconic thing of Men in Black is that they have these neuralizers, you know, they whip them out, say, look into the device, flashes, and you forget the recent past. And, yeah, this film could yeah, be its own neuralizer. So. It, it's thinking it's what, a very forgettable film. Yeah, I was just thinking, what can I remember much about this thing? Except Tessa Thompson. So maybe someone has Tessa neuralized Thompson. me and told me that Tessa Thompson is the only good thing in this film. And that's how I remember it. And yeah, that's okay. what I believe it too. So this is uh, the fourth Men in Black film, now called Men in Black International, because they move out of New York for once. It stars Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson reprising their partnership from Thor Ragnarok. And it's very clear that they're really hoping that the chemistry that they had in Thor Ragnarok carries on through this. Uh, let's say Emma Thompson's in it from last time Liam Neeson in it I'm sure they're very thankful that the Liam Neeson (laughs) debacle uh, didn't blow up too much Kumail Nanjiani voices a character called Pony and amazingly uh, which she reminded me of yesterday (laughs) and I completely didn't realise it was her Rebecca Ferguson's in this Yes. And I love Rebecca Ferguson. I just absolutely did not recognise her. It's, it's the week, it's the week. So the, the, the plot of this, is, it, <laughs> it goes back and forth. 20 years ago, young Tessa Thompson, who plays Molly, an alien ran into her house and the men in black turned up and they zapped her parents, but they did, didn't properly zap her because they thought it was, she was asleep. Because, of course, why check? <laughs> she helps this little alien escape, but she's obsessed with... Aliens for a So she becomes a perfect candidate for the FBI, CIA, police, everything. But she keeps on getting rejected because she keeps on asking, you know, put me in the aliens division. <laughs> so they all think she's mad. Mm. But then she discovers uh, through her own uh, wiles, she doesn't get recruited by MIB. She finds MIB and walks in and gets uh, recruited <laughs> there. From there, she's sent to London. They discover there's a mole in the London outfit who could be uh, prepping <laughs> the aliens that called the hive to you know, take over the Earth. And she's paired with Chris Hemsworth, who plays Agent H, who, well, is basically Chris Hemsworth as Thor Light. Yeah, just a different outfit. Yeah. No, you have to, um, it's the Thor in the Ragnarok. Yes, oh yeah, sorry, it's the Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> Not the first two thoughts. Which means he's kind of a, a very bland James Bond character. He's kind of swagger, arrogance, but of no, just but no other personality. And it's this thing of Chris Hemsworth that he's, ever since he was told he was funny, they've just said, oh, can you do that improv stuff that you do? <laughs> so if someone says, you've done this wrong, then you'll just get a whole bunch of letters. Uh, yeah, but did I though? Because uh, maybe you did it wrong and I did it right or you did it wrong first and then I did it less wrong. 
all this kind of like, just and it just goes on. They did. They just. I, th- I guess it's like it, it just plays up to his. You know this this himbo persona where you know I know I'm such good looking. Everybody's looking at me. Now nothing is gonna face me because oh I know how to get one way office and you know it's I'm I'm just too good looking to get into any trouble. Yeah, I mean it. But it doesn't quite work with the character because the whole Men in Black thing is that everyone's like super efficient. Yeah. Even Will Smith was like, you know, had a bit of he, edge to yeah, him. Yeah. Whereas he seems just, just so... Bumbling I, around. It's just yeah. like, yeah. It's just... To the point of incompetence. Yeah. And he's just super lucky to get yeah. through anything. And then, yeah, that's why it's like, he's just like breezes through everything, thinking that, you know, I am who I am. So it's like, you know, nothing. Well, apparently he saved the worth with Liam Neeson at some point. Yeah. And they have pictures of opposite. The Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones get a mention in a painting, <laughs> which is how Will Smith got a mention in Independence Day <laughs> Resurrection. He was just, oh, oh it's yeah, a painting right. of Will Smith. <laughs> yeah, right. So in this one as well, painting of Will Smith. Uh, so they run around the world to Marrakesh chasing this device. And that's about it, really. The, and the, I mean, there's a bit of the... It does get you guessing a little bit about who the mole could be. Yeah, you know? I think there's a lot of potential somewhere, but I think the plot just, you know... I don't know whether it's just, they it just decided just... Draft. This, it's just let them go through, do whatever you feel like doing, and then just... Yeah, that's the thing. It's just, oh, they work so well together in Thor Ragnarok. Don't worry about it. Just let them yeah. do stuff. And it'll be charming, and it'll be wonderful, and yeah, it it feels like uh, that. Uh, this is this is a scene. This is what is going to happen. Just go do whatever you feel like doing. It's, in a way, it's become so incoherent because at the end, when it, when it comes to a big reveal, it's like I really felt as I don't really care. I don't understand, <laughs> but I really don't care either. And and what your uh, son said that it feels like Fantastic Beasts or something. Yes. Absolutely, that is exactly <laughs> how I felt. So when Tessa Thompson goes into the place. And it's like a big train station, and there's all these aliens around, but they don't do anything with it. It's just, oh, look, they look strange, they look strange, they look strange. There's people who are strange around the thing. There's all these wonderful creatures, but there's no interaction with them. It's like, it's a lot of wasted potential. I'm sure the the money, they spend lots of budget on all this, but it just felt very cheaply done. Well, yeah, first draft, it's like... (laughs) At one point past the first draft, did you say, okay, let's go with this? Yeah, things don't make sense. So the, that reveal that you're talking about, <laughs> you think, okay, I, I get part of that, but it doesn't really come together at all. I, I There was a proposed, uh, you know, at the end of 22 Jump Street, mm. where they had all the new versions of 23 Jump Street, yeah, 24 yeah, Jump yeah, Street, yeah. and it was like yeah. cooking class, going to space. All that. And they, there was one thing at the end, that was Men in Black, and 22 Jump Street and for a while they were like okay let's make this happen <laughs> uh, that should have been the fourth one they, it needs such an injection of some you know, life into it yeah for for this kind I mean the premise of like you know aliens taking over the world or aliens living among us you know you can have so much fun well I do wonder if that's a, a victim of its own success because the original's in from 97 so since then the idea that the world isn't as you think it is mm-hmm. has taken off quite a bit because then you have the Matrix after that, yeah, you know, the, and indeed the Harry Potter stuff, like just behind the wall, could be a completely new <laughs> you know, world. I mean, it was it's it's a fun. It looks like a fun film. Uh, I think that's it, though. It should have been more fun. You, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be watching this kind of film and say, okay, where are you going with this now? 
it should be like, okay, where are you going with this now? Yeah, I think it's like cause the first one where, where the aliens turn out to be this huge cockroach thingy and then how they fight and get, get I mean, you know, towards the end, a big fight. That was like, yeah. that's quite original. It's, in terms of forgettable, the, the villains in this have got zero personality. They're just kind of like two wraiths that kind of turn up. Exactly, you don't even remember them. <laughs> 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 Dude, that, that look to the sky of villains. Like, yeah. They're just my villains. Yeah, it's a serious villain. Who, in the end, were they villains? I, I don't oh, know. Oh, you mean the, the you break dancing? Even... Yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't know if you'd want them to continue with this. I think it will continue. You reckon? I even with so. the, such a low rating? I think people, I, I think it would still do pretty all right in the box office. So. Oh, okay. And, I mean, Chris Hemsworth is a big star, and I think people generally go and watch it because after all the end game hype, I mean... Or in Valkyrie, so it's just, right. uh, it's a easy sell, I guess, if you want to say that. The one final thing I would say about this, a big thing for me, is that filmmakers need to realise they have a flashback to Molly's youth, and it says twenty years ago. <laughs> twenty years ago is not the eighties. Twenty years ago is nineteen ninety six. It was just sorry, twenty years ago in the film, so it goes from twenty sixteen to twenty to nineteen ninety six. Nineteen ninety six was only a year before the original film came out. <laughs> and yet Molly's parents are dressed like the eighties. It annoys me so much. It, it's, <laughs> it's clearly someone who's probably my age and says, Twenty years ago, yeah, nineteen eighty eight, right? <laughs> I, I don't know how they got away that with really it. That really bugs you. <laughs> it does. It does because it fashions move on, you know. <laughs> So uh, I'd say it's a 2.5 out of 5, and I would not even want to see it again, to be honest. Yeah, I was asking my son the question yesterday, and like, would you want to watch it again? He was like, no. Nah. He was like, straight away, he said, is there anything else you can watch? I don't particularly hate it. Yeah, it's just it's, not it's just so bland yeah. and forgettable. I don't need to even pick it on a plane. I'll probably watch it else. if there's nothing else to watch. It'd have to be a lot of nothing to watch. <laughs> Anyway, so that's where we are. Rocketman, go see it, go love it. It's wonderful. Mm. Absolutely wonderful. And um, <laughs> Men in Black International. Sorry, I think I've just been neuralized again. <laughs> that's that one. So thank you for listening. If you're listening on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or indeed Spotify, do rate, like, review us. Every little helps. And thank you for listening. And thank you, Joanne, for joining me. You're welcome. And until another double feature, goodbye. That was an SPH podcast. Find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and streaming on Google Home. Do send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at straightstimes.com and bt.sg.